So today we're returning to our message series, Hope in Suffering. And we've been going through the book of 1 Peter, verse by verse. And for the past several weeks, we've been dealing with the subject of submission in our relationships. It started with our submission to the government. And then we moved into how do we submit as employees to employers. And then for the last two weeks, Pastor Bruce has spoke to us about what makes for a healthy marriage. How wives submit to their husbands and how husbands submit to their wives. The common principle in all of these relationships that we interact with, right, is that without submission, there is no success. No submission, no success. That's been the common principle. Now, in our text today, Peter's going to sum up all of that. He's going to sum up the subject of submission and how we must relate with one another. And we're going to jump into that in just a moment. But as we've done in all of our messages in this series, we begin by reading our theme verse. And it comes from Romans fifteen thirteen. And the uh, Apostle Peter here, he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, our God is the God of hope. Do you need hope today? I see some heads nodding. Come on. We all need some hope, right? What we've got to do then, if we need that hope, is we've got to lean into him because he will not only fill you with hope, he's going to make sure that you overflow with it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what's so cool about having a relationship with Jesus, right? It's because he's not just going to give you just enough. He's not just going to just fill you up, right? What he's going to do is he's going to make sure that you are overflowing with hope because that's the kind of God that we serve. Now, we've been driving this home in every message in this series that God is the God of hope. But do you know what else he's the God of? God is also the God of peace. 2 Thessalonians 3.16, Paul says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation. I love that. He's the God of peace. The prophet Isaiah says in chapter 9, verse 6, he says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. And trust me, you want his peace. His peace is unlike anything in this world. His peace truly satisfies It's a calmness that stills your heart. It's a quietness that produces a trust in him that cannot be shaken. It's a stillness that keeps us from freaking out when our circumstances are in chaos and it's just exploding all around us, right? It's a stillness also. It's a contentment um, that his provision is all that we need. But there's a real danger that many of us face. We confuse the world's peace with God's peace. God is constant. His peace never changes. It always satisfies. The world's peace is fleeting because the God of this world, we're talking about Satan, and that's God with a little g, the God of this world, he lures so many of us into a false peace. He craftily entices us to indulge in all the pleasures of the world. And some of us think that if we'll just get these pleasures, if we'll just have that, if I can just experience this, then I'll have peace. That is a lie from the enemy. Let me be very clear in the contrast between the God of this universe, and that's the God with a big G, and the God of this world, that's God with a little g. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he does it so subtly at times. He's a master at deception. Jesus calls him the father of lies because there is no truth in him. He deceives us with this false peace. And when you're in pain, when you're struggling, Satan's going to tempt you to want to self-medicate. 
right? He's going he's to tempt you to want to get into drugs or alcohol or something else to try to numb that pain. That's just a temporary relief. And that's the thing with Satan's kind of peace. It's temporary. It never lasts. And it always costs you. The consequences can be devastating. We have an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything in our lives. That's his mission. That is his mindset. Steal, kill, and destroy. I want you to let that sink in for just a moment. We've got an enemy who runs around every day, 24-7. And all he's wanting to do is take you out. He's wanting to take you out. He does not care about you. He doesn't care about your family. And he certainly doesn't care about your friends. Why? Because he's a taker. He is a taker. And with him, it all leads to death. But with the one true and only God, the God of hope, the God of peace, the Lord of peace, with him it all leads to life. Jesus came so that we would have life and we would have it abundantly, extravagantly, so that we are overflowing. Not only that, he gives freely. Jesus is a giver and his grace is unmerited favor. We don't deserve it and we could never do anything to earn it. The only way to have true and lasting peace is with Jesus. There is no other way. The world is full of cheap substitutes that promise you peace and happiness, but they never satisfy. They will always leave you wanting, and they will always eventually leave you empty. The world's peace never addresses the root of the problem. When we look at the world today, it's easy to just rattle off what we think the real problems are. Some of us think it's, it has to do with our financial system. It's the stock market. It goes up, it goes down. Some would say it's our stock market. Some would say it's our national debt. It's trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. Anyone ever looked at that ticker online and just watched those numbers? I mean, it's a number I can't even get my head around. If you and I were to manage our finances like the government does, we would be bankrupt tomorrow, wouldn't we? We don't have a printing machine sitting at home that we can just print off money whenever we need it like the government does. So some would say, right, it's our debt. Others might say it's our corrupt governments. How we've got so much corruption in our government. They lie to us. They do these backroom deals. Where's the honor and the integrity in we the people? Some might say it's drugs, substance abuse. There's a lot of that today, unfortunately. You see it pouring right across our borders, our open borders. Maybe it's racism. Oh, yeah, that's the problem. We just keep turning a same issue that's been out there forever. And while we're at it, why don't we go ahead and teach critical race theory to our kids so we program them to be racist? Are you kidding me? Not one race is superior to another. We are created, created by our God, and we are all equal. I'm so tired of seeing society keep stirring up the same issue of race, 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 right? Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's LGBTQ, right? That movement is permeating every facet of our society today. You see it everywhere, don't you? Okay, maybe it's abortion. We've killed millions and millions of babies. This country's got some blood on their hands. Maybe that's the problem. Or it's human trafficking, right? That is modern-day slavery right there, human trafficking. You've got kids in sex trade. They're coming across the border. It's just crazy what's going on with that. And we don't hear much about it. That's a problem. Or perhaps it's broken families. We've got a lot of broken families out there. Why do over 50% of families, you know, that are married end up in divorce? And that divorce statistic is not just representative of the world. It's also representative of the church, there's no difference. We've got divorce because it's so easy. We just walk away. Or perhaps it's violence. BLM, Antifa, just wreaking havoc. Maybe that's the problem. Or it's health care. Perhaps it's health care. Boy, our health care people are so honest with us, right? All you got to do is look at COVID. It's coming out. Terrorism. Or war. I could go on and on and on. The peace the world offers tries to fix these kinds of problems, but never really addresses the root of the problem. 
The world's peace will always focus on treating the symptoms of the problems rather than the root problem itself. Do you want to know what the root problem is? The root problem is sin. That's the root problem. That's the root issue. No amount of regulation or reform or money can heal the disease of sin. The only cure for the disease of sin is the Lord God himself. And as long as we keep treating the symptoms of the problem, we will never experience true peace. Because there's only one way to true peace, and that's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. He is our peace, and his name is Jehovah Shalom. That's an Old Testament name for him that reveals his character. And there are a lot of Old Testament names for God because his character is beyond anything we could fathom. The Lord is peace, Jehovah Shalom. Do you know him? Do you know him? Let's pray. God, we need you. And we invite you right here today. Give us ears to hear. Open our hearts. Speak directly into us, Lord, that we can take away what we're to do in this world for you. Because that's what we're here for. We're here to glorify you. And we're here to help other people wake up and come to know who you truly are. In Jesus' name, amen. So turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 8 through 12. We're going to unpack each one of these verses together. But I'm going to do something a little different today. Is that okay? Is that okay if I do something a little different? Am I going to mess with you if we start this, these verses out of order? Because we're going to start at the very end of verse 11 instead of verse 8. Is that going to mess with your, your stuff? I like shaking it up sometimes. It's just fun. Now, the reason that I want to focus on the very end of verse 11 first is because that sets up the entire message for today. And in order for me to put verse 11 in context, I've got to back up and look at verse 10 first. So here we go. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, Peter says, For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. As I was studying this text, it was this phrase that jumped right out at me. Let him seek peace and pursue it. The Apostle Peter here, he's quoting the Old Testament scripture from Psalm 34. And he's saying this. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you know what? If you love life, if you want to live a full life and you want to have good and happy days, here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to seek peace and pursue it. Now, we're going to get to the part of the message today where we're going to handle evil. We're going to talk about evil. But for now, I want you to focus on the very end of verse 11. Seek peace and pursue it. That's the title of the message today. Pursue peace. Pursue peace. We can pursue a lot of things in this life, but nothing satisfies like the kind of peace that Peter's going to be talking to us about here in our text. Our God is the God of hope, and he's also the Lord of peace. I don't know what you're dealing with right now in your life. I don't know what your struggle is or what trial or what kind of challenge that you may be facing right now, but I can tell you this. You're not here by accident. God appointed this time for you to be in this service right now, right here, today. And if you're listening online, God appointed this exact time for you too. And I believe he has a word for you. Because if you pursue peace, you pursue him. If you pursue peace, you pursue him. He is peace. The Lord is peace. Jehovah Shalom. Now, The prophet Isaiah says this in Isaiah 26.3. He says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Now, the you we're talking about, that's God himself. You want to experience perfect peace? Trust in Jesus. That's the only way that you can experience it. Pursue peace. Now, many of you may be saying to yourself, you know what? I already know Jesus. I've already given my life to him. I am a Christ follower now. I'm a Christian. And you're like, why in the world should I pursue peace? Why do I need to pursue something that I already have? You might be saying to yourself. 
Well, let me ask you this. Are you at peace right now? Is everything in your life just perfect? You have no struggles, nothing's going on, you're at perfect peace, are you? I bet you there's no one in this room that could say that. Or how about this? Are you worried about something? Is life stressing you out somehow? Is there a relationship conflict in your life? Is there someone that you need to forgive? Do you feel alone? Are you struggling with making an important decision? Are you struggling with some sort of sin? Are you waiting on God to do something that you've asked him to do? Maybe that's you. You've been praying for a long time and you've been waiting and it has not come to pass. Chances are most of us are not in perfect peace. Because if we were, <laughs> if we were in perfect peace, there'd be no struggles. There'd be no worry. We wouldn't stress out about anything, would we? We may say we trust Jesus, but do our actions actually show it? Is your mind stayed on Jesus, as the text says here? Whose mind is stayed on you? Is your mind stayed on Jesus? We've got to ask ourselves that. Most of us lose our peace when the pressures of life start to squeeze us. This is exactly what happened to the Apostle Peter. Multiple times as a follower of Jesus, this happened to him. And one such night, he and the disciples, they were out in a boat. They were in the middle of the sea. And they saw the Lord Jesus walking to them on the water. All right? I was trying to picture myself wondering what that'd be like. Sitting in a boat, some dude comes walking up in the water to me. I'd be freaking out too. <laughs> I'd be like, what? He's walking on water. That is cool. And Jesus, or, uh, Peter says to Jesus, he says, Lord, if that's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. So Peter, man, he steps out of the boat and he starts walking on water. Peter's a regular dude like you and me, right? And he's walking on the water. And then he did what many of us do. He took his eyes off Jesus and he started to look around at his circumstances. And then what happened? He started to sink, right? Because he was losing his peace because he took his eyes off Jesus. How many of us in our own lives do the very same thing? right? We lose focus and we're not focusing on him and suddenly our circumstances become a lot bigger, don't they? Well, as Peter started to sink, Jesus, uh, are you here, Peter, say, um, Lord, save me. And of course, the Lord reached his hand out and saved him. And he'll save you if you'll just cry out to him. Peter lost his peace when he looked around. You see, the human flesh will fail. We're going to lose our peace at times. That's why we need to pursue it. It's not a one-and-done pursuit. It's a lifelong commitment of continually pursuing peace. Now, Peter learned a lot in walking with Jesus. He spent three years with him, three and a half years or so. And he's going to pass on some amazing truths to you and I in this text. He's going to give us three practical reasons, or three practical action steps, rather, that we can take in our own lives in how to pursue peace. All right? Let's jump back into our, the beginning of the text. We'll go back to verse 8. Now we're going to get back into order. So for some of you that kind of got ruffled about me starting in verse 11, I'm going back. I'm starting back in verse 8. So here we go. <laughs> Peter says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love us, brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. So he starts out here with this word, finally. And then he says, all of you. It's pretty inclusive. Be of one mind. This completes what Peter has been telling us about the subject of submission. This text right here. He's summing up what he's already said concerning our attitude towards others. Whether it's concerning the government, our employment, or our marriage, we are to be of one mind. You can't be of one mind without submitting. There's going to be times when you're just going to have to submit. No submission, no success. We've got to be of one mind. In other words, we've got to be united. We've got to be united. And what unites us, anyway, 
It should be our focus on bringing glory to God and bearing witness to the world of who he is. That should be our focus. That should be what rallies us together, keeps us grounded. Being of one mind should force us to put aside our superficial differences and focus on what really matters to God. He wants us united, not divided. So this brings us to the first action step that we must take if we're going to pursue peace. We must protect unity. We've got to protect unity. Be of one mind. We can't be of one mind if we don't protect unity. And Peter then tells us how to do this. This is what I love about the Word of God when you're reading it. You're like, I just don't understand. I'm not quite sure. How do I do this? And if you just dig in, the Holy Spirit's going to reveal to you how. So here we go. He's going to tell you how. Finally, all of you be of one mind. Okay, here's how. Having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Now, compassion. This is to feel the joy and the pain of other people. This is to sympathize with them. Now, it goes a lot further than just feelings. Compassion compels us to action. We act on what we feel. We do something about it. Now, you see this in the New Testament several times because compassion is that is that's what compelled Jesus to heal people. That's what compelled him to restore people, to love them, and ultimately to die for them. Now, love as others, Peter says here, love as brothers, that means family. We are to truly care for other people and put the cares of other people ahead of our own. That's what a real family does. A family that loves sticks together no matter what. We forgive. We don't hold grudges. Now, here's something very important to consider when it comes to love. When you truly love someone, you listen to them. Men, this is especially important for us because listening just doesn't come naturally for us, does it? Right, ladies? Right? Okay. Don't be afraid to speak up. (laughs) Now, listen, all of us must listen to understand not to respond. We all need to listen to understand, not to respond. So many times when a disagreement happens, people are so focused on wanting to be right that they don't truly listen. For them, it's all about winning the argument. I just want to be right because I'm right and I'm going to get the last word. But listen, Jesus never told us to be right. He told us to be loving I love how Pastor Craig Rochelle, he says this. He says, love doesn't seek to win the argument. Love seeks to protect the relationship. Love doesn't seek to win the argument. Love seeks to protect the relationship, protect unity. That's what we've got to do. Child of God, sometimes in your effort to be right, you've forgotten how to be loving. You've forgotten how to be loving. We are to love. And love doesn't mean leaving. Do you hear me? Love doesn't mean leaving. It means you work it out. You stay together. You stay united. You forgive. We forgive because Jesus first forgave us. We are to be of one mind. When division happens, here's what we've got to do. We've got to recognize that when division happens, that is not of God. Dividing is what our enemy does. He divides and he conquers. That is his strategy. In 1 Peter 5.8, the word says, he prowls around, roaring like a lion, looking for someone to devour. Now, when lions hunt, when you look at a pride of lions, right, their purpose is to get their prey away from the herd. Because if they isolate their prey away from the herd, they know that that one that's isolated is at its weakest point. That's when you are the most vulnerable, is when you're away from the herd. You're just easy prey for the enemy when that happens. We are to be of one mind. So stay with the herd. Have compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Don't let these petty differences stand in the way of unity. Be tenderhearted. 
Tenderhearted is just another word for compassion. It's having pity or mercy for someone. And lastly, be courteous. Courteous is just being kind. It's being kind. You're going to have to be humble. You're going to have to show some humility to other people. So to protect unity, here's another thing we got to do. We have to be willing to overlook offenses. Our world is so easily offended. So many people go through their lives getting offended at just about everything, don't they? I mean, goodness gracious, you can be driving on the road and somebody can give you the middle finger salute, don't they? And your blood will like, whoop, start to boil when you see that, doesn't it? You want to like do something about that. It's just natural. That's what happens. And see, the enemy is going to come along in those kinds of situations and he's going to pour fuel on that already burning fire. It's going to cause it to burn stronger and it's going to cause it to burn hotter. You can count on that. The enemy will do that because what does he want to do? Steal, kill, and destroy. So what do we do about it? We love. That means we overlook offenses. Of course that isn't easy. You can't control how that other person is going to respond or how they're going to react. Listen to me. The word of God is very clear on this. Paul says in Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. So far as it depends on you. Now, this is not a get out of jail free card, right? So that the other person who that you're trying to love, they're just being an idiot and you just say, well, I've done my best. I'm out of here. See ya. Bye. That's not what it's about here. No, we are to do everything in our power to be at peace with all people. And that means we protect unity. Remember, if you're a child of God, the power to do this doesn't come from within yourself. This does not happen naturally. When we give our lives to Jesus, we are committing, we're committing to crucify our desires, our selfishness, and our bitterness. We crucify these on the cross as Jesus was crucified for us. We've got to have the mindset like the Apostle Paul. Look at this in Galatians 2.20. This should be our mindset. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We die to self and we live for Jesus. He now lives on the inside of us once we've made that decision to follow him. So as, so as far as it depends on you, we are to be at peace with all people. That means we pursue peace by protecting unity at all costs. Now, if we get back to our text, Peter gives us another action step that we are to take to pursue peace. He first says that we are to protect unity, and second, we are to produce blessing. We are to produce blessing. Now you see this in the very, very next uh, verse here in verse 9. So we covered verse 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, and we come to verse 9. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Now, reviling is to speak evil of someone. It's to spew negative language towards someone else. Now, instead of cursing them, we are called to bless them. We don't produce evil for evil. We produce blessing. Now, our world's going to tell you, don't get mad. Get even. That's what the world will say. Get even. It's all about the payback. They have it coming to them. They deserve that for what they did to me. That's what the world will tell you. Just about every Hollywood action movie hero out there seems to always even the score. He always gets his revenge. But the Bible does not teach this. It actually teaches the opposite. The Bible tells us here in Romans 12, 19, it says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. So, When are we supposed to take revenge? Never, 
right? Is there any circumstances that would justify you ever taking matters into your own hands? No, because the word says never take revenge. It doesn't matter. You could come up with any situation or circumstance you want to talk about how bad somebody did something to you. The word is clear. Never take revenge. No matter the circumstance, we are never to take matters in our own hands. I love how the New King James Version puts this. It says, vengeance is mine, thus says the Lord. We are to leave it in the hands of God. As Christ followers, we do not return evil for evil. We overcome evil with good. So to pursue peace, we don't produce evil, we produce blessing. Now, I just talked about this a few weeks ago in that Jesus gave us the perfect example to follow. We talked about this in in chapter 2 of 1 Peter. The word here says, For you have been called for this purpose since Christ has also suffered for you. So this purpose, we said, was referring to you and I were called to suffer as Christ's followers. Did you know that? We were called to suffer, just like Jesus suffered for you. And then it says, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. So who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He committed no sin. Jesus always spoke the truth. And while he was being reviled, he never reviled in return. There was no revenge. When he was beaten, mocked, and spit on, he never said anything. He died on the cross after all of that for our sins because of his great love for you and for me. He made a way for you and I to be saved because before that, there was no way. We were separated from God because sin separates. He made a way. Without believing and receiving in Jesus, we are actually enemies of God. Do you know that? The Bible says we're enemies of God if we don't have Jesus in our life. And without Jesus, there is no peace. You can't have peace without him. Now, instead of returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, we produce blessing. Why? Because he blessed us first. So we must bless others. That's how we can reach a dying world, right there. Because when the lost look on at us returning evil, right? We return evil with good. When they look on and see that, they're going to be baffled. They're going to be like, how in the world did you do that? They're going to want to know. They're going to want to hear the gospel. You reflect Jesus when you bless others. And as our text says here in verse 9, you were called to this. Not only were you called to suffer for him, you're also called to return evil with good by blessing other people. You're called to this. Our payback must always be blessing. Child of God, you were called by God to bless other people. So to pursue peace, we first protect unity. We then produce blessing. And now we come to the final action step in our text. We are to prohibit evil. We are to prohibit evil. We move on to verse 10 in our text. Peter says, For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. It's interesting here that the first thing that Peter tells us when it comes to prohibiting evil is regarding what we say. Because our mouths get us into trouble so many times, don't they? Our mouths can get us into trouble, and our words matter. And once those words are out, there's no way to get them back. Now, James tells us just how serious this is. Watch this in our text. James chapter 3, verse 6. Here's what he says. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flaming fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. And it can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Those are some strong words, aren't they? That should be a warning to you and I. 
This should be a serious warning at just how dangerous and damaging our words can be. They can be extremely hurtful and divisive. And like a fire, they can spread quickly, wreaking havoc on someone. You can't control the results once those words are out. Even if there's an apology and there's forgiveness, those scars are going to remain. You can speak life or you can speak death. It's a choice. And we've got to choose wisely. Gossip is always a poor choice. Gossip is slandering and speaking evil of someone behind their back. Now, Satan loves to disguise gossip as an opportunity to pray for someone. You ever been in a prayer group and heard that? Oh, man, we need to pray for her because she just had this happen. And, you know, I heard this. I mean, it just goes on and on and on, doesn't it? And you may think you've got well, good intentions, and you're just airing a whole bunch of dirty laundry about this other person behind their back, and you're doing it under the guise of praying for them. The enemy loves to disguise it like that. You've got to be on guard against that. We've got to prohibit evil. We've got to stop it in its tracks. And listen, it's just as bad to be on the receiving end of gossip and listen to it as it is to speak it. Whether you're spreading it or listening to it, you're harming other people. God takes the subject of gossip very seriously. He warns us in Psalm 101.5. He says this, Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy, the word says. Psalm 101.5. You might want to write that down. And remember that the next time you're tempted to gossip about somebody. Gossip is serious and it will destroy unity. It will destroy peace. We are called to build people up, not tear them down. Paul says this in Ephesians 4.29. He says, let no unwholesome word. How many words? None. No unwholesome word come from your mouth. But if there is any good word for edification, that means encouragement, building up, according to the need of at the moment, say that, so that it will give grace to those who hear. That's what we're to do. We're to speak life. We're to build up. We are to give grace. So in our speech, we have to resist the temptation to speak evil. We must prohibit evil. We need to pray as David did in Psalm 141.3. He said this, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. We've got to be praying that because this thing can get us in so much trouble. Now, turning back to our text, we see that Peter discusses what our relationship with evil should be. And he addresses that first by talking about what comes out of our mouth. And next, he's going to tell us what we must do when we face evil. We are to turn away and do good. He says it here in verse 11. Let him turn away from evil and do good. That means we don't entertain it. Okay? I'm going to step inside your bubble for just a moment. So forgive me, but I have to do this because my job is to speak the truth. Now, I'm to do it in love, but nonetheless, I must speak the truth. So we don't entertain evil. Are you watching evil on your TV? Are you? Don't think that evil is just pertaining to some uh, gory horror flick. All right? Because evil is anything that would be an offense to God. So if God were sitting right next to you, remember, he's omnipresent, so he is, and whatever you're watching, would that be offensive to him? That TV is like a window of Satan to come through it, if you're not careful. It really is. Don't give the enemy a foothold. So here's some other questions. In what you're watching, is the language pure? Is there immodesty of any kind? Is there sex displayed of any kind? Then it's evil, and we are to turn away from it. We should shut that thing off, change the channel, do something. And you know, there's, there's this thing out there, just as an aside, there's something called VidAngel. Some of you may know this, VidAngel. You can get it on Roku. It's an app you can download. If you want to watch TV or a movie, you can filter all that stuff out, right? You can pick the filters that you want. You can filter out the Lord's name. You can filter out any filthy language. You can filter, uh, filter out anything that's inappropriately shown or displayed. You can filter all of that stuff out using VidAngel. Now, VidAngel, this is a bit, this just came to me today, just random thoughts, you know. When VidAngel first came out a few years ago, it was awesome. 
It was really awesome because all those movies that were coming out, the new, newest movies, you could go on there and VidAngel and watch it and filter all the stuff out. And guess what Hollywood did? They started suing them for copyright infringement and all this stuff. And so they've shut down a lot of the capability that VidAngel had initially. They still can do some of that. It just might not be some of the newest movies that are out there. And some titles you just won't find because the movie industry has blocked that from happening. Now, isn't that interesting? And they, you know, that you've got movie industry, Hollywood, all trying to protect, you know, their so-called art and not even giving you the choice to filter out what shouldn't be coming through your home. I find that very interesting. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he makes it very clear what our relationship with evil should be. He says this in Ephesians 5.11. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Right? No part. How much part? How much are you supposed to allow into your life? None. And then what are we supposed to do? Expose it. That doesn't mean we put our head in the sand and we hope it all goes away. No, we are to expose evil. You must not partake of evil. We must prohibit evil. And not only that, we've got to expose it. That means we need to be willing to take a stand. We don't sit idly by and let evil happen. We expose it. That means we rebuke it. We refute it. And we reprove it. Now, I want you to watch this video. This pastor that you're going to watch on this video, I didn't warn the first service, he talks incredibly fast, and he does have an accent. So I want you to listen because I need you to hear the words that he says. Here we go. What about Christians that sit there and go, hey, I, I want to uh, do the Sermon on the Mount. I want to train the other cheek that, you know, I should worry about myself and my works and grace and all that, and I should stay out of politics, and this is not for me. Well, the, first of all, read your Bible. Solomon is very clear. He says there is a time for peace, there is time for war. Also, we are to be the light in the darkness. Now we are surrounded by darkness. And you know why we are surrounded by, the, by darkness? Because the light refused to go. People, Christians, pastors, leaders, clergymen, priests, they refuse to go into politics. They refuse to be the light in the darkness. They refuse to go in the educational system, in the mainstream media. And look at us now. We have been taken over by wicked, evil people because good people refuse to do what their job was, which was to be good people. You see, when a man, a good man is in power, the nation rejoices. That's what the Bible says. When the wicked rules, we have what we have right now. We have stolen elections. We have elimination of the middle class, destruction of small and medium-sized businesses, clergymen arrested, churches shut down. I mean, is that the country you want for your grandchildren? You have to say, if that's the country you want, I suggest to you move to China. You will fit perfectly. But if you want freedom, if you want rights, and rights also for those that do not believe the way you believe, then you got to fight, you got to stand up for democracy. If you had the chance to stop Adolf Hitler, would you, before this crazy thing happened? Because you got to remember, Adolf Hitler was democratically elected as Chancellor of Germany. It took him over 10 years to do what he did. Here is what you can do. 1981, Solidarity Movement, when 50,000 communists were ruling with an iron fist over 36 million people, that worked only for a little while until the 36 million people finally said, you know what they said? They wait a second. There's more of us than of them. Paralyze the country. Stop working for them. Stop obeying your orders. When they tell you to put a muzzle on like a good dog, you say, I'm not a dog. I refuse to put it. And do it in masses. You have to, you have to move into non-compliance. Civil rights movement. Martin Luther King Jr., Mahatma Gandhi. I mean, Lech Wałęsa, Solidarity Movement. That's how it was done. We didn't use guns. We didn't use violence. We just paralyzed the entire left country, the communists. When you paralyze their power, they lose that power. Yeah, we can't paralyze evil's power if we don't stand up against it and expose it. That's what it comes down to, right? We've got to be a light in the darkness. Now, speaking of standing up, I want to give a special shout-out to Mike Gale. Mike, I see you back there. If you don't mind just standing up for a moment. Mike is on our security team, and he was just sworn in this week to the Missoula County Board of Trustees representing the Hellgate School District. So let's give him a round of applause. Mike, I applaud your courage for willing to stand up because people need to hear the truth, and we need to be willing to do that. This is awesome news to have a Christ follower from our church represented in our school board, right? That is awesome. More of us need to be willing to take a stand for freedom. 
for righteousness and for the glory of God. We need to be the light that exposes the darkness. Now, our call to action today is this. Pursue peace. Because if we pursue peace, we pursue Jesus. He is peace. Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. Now, to pursue it, we must protect unity. We've got to produce blessing. And we need to prohibit evil. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you've done in our lives, for giving us that example, for dying on the cross for each of us. And we know, Lord, that our faith is an active faith. It requires action. Compassion compels us to action. Our faith should compel us to take action, to stand up against evil. Now, we don't return evil with evil. We return evil with good. So I pray, Lord God, that you would inspire and encourage each one of us to live this message out in people's lives, to make a difference. So if you're here today and you recognize that something resonated with you, that you've not had peace, perhaps there's something that you're struggling with right now that's causing you not to have peace, but you want peace and you need help. You need someone to pray for you. If that's you and you want to slip up your hand, I will pray for you right now. Anyone struggling with peace right now? Anyone? Okay, thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, I know there's more of you. Some of you just don't want to raise your hand, but I know you're struggling with peace, so let's pray. Father God, I pray, Jesus, that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed on you because we know if we keep our eyes fixed on you, no matter what the world is doing and what's going on in our lives, we know that you hold us in the palm of our hand and that you will give us your peace, and your peace is anything unlike we can ever experience. So I pray, Jesus, for each one that raised their hand today and said, Lord, I need your help. I can't do this on my own. Father, would you fill them with your spirit? Remind them of who you are. Give them the courage to stand strong, even in the face of the storm that's raging in their life, knowing that you can easily just say, be still. And that storm will go away in an instant. So Lord, I just pray, give them hope, give them peace, give them grace. Others of you may be here and be like, you know, I've never made the decision to follow Jesus. And I recognize that I'm an enemy of God if I haven't made that commitment to follow him. I don't want to be that enemy anymore. I don't want to try to live my life by myself anymore. I want to experience what real peace is. If that's you and you've never made that decision to follow Jesus today and you want to, I just ask, slip up your hand and I'll pray for you. Anyone here that wants to make the decision to follow Jesus, do you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, nudging you, Anyone? Did I see one hand? I think so. Others of you may be at your seat and you're like, you know what, I'm kind of fearful to raise my hand, but I know I'm wrestling with it in my heart right now. So pray this with me if that's you. Father, I recognize that I need you. I cannot save myself. I need a savior. I recognize that I am full of sin And I just turn that over right now to you. And I pray, Lord God, would you wash me, make me clean. And so I give you my life today. And I know, Father, that from this day forward, I'm going to follow you. We thank you so much for the joy and the freedom that we have in Jesus. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you will stand to your feet, what I want you to do is I want you to take a few moments as this song is played, and I want you to just really think about what God is impressing upon your heart. Is there something you need to do? Is there something you need to confess? Is there something, some relationship you need to mend? There's going to be people up here that you can pray with if you need prayer. They will be here at the front. Feel free to come forward if you need prayer. But listen to the words of of this song.